You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mic check. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles, and uh, this episode was a shoot from the hip episode right from the beginning. We, uh, I had a, I had a afternoon recording back out at the last minute. So what did I do? I went to Facebook, or excuse me, I went to Instagram, social media, and I said, "Who wants to uh, be a guest on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast?" And I landed an actual really good one. Today we're going to be talking with Brett. He's from Kansas, and uh, he talks about with where he lives, with how the terrain is uh, in, in the area that he hunts. He's really limited to where he can actually place tree stands and ambush uh, the deer. So we kind of came up with a term called actively waiting. And he's actively checking trail cameras, doing some, you know, some scouting, looking for deer, and then waiting for the right conditions to strike. So as you'll hear in this podcast, he doesn't really hunt a lot. He just hunts at the right time and he's got it figured out uh, and, he, and he's become successful throughout the years because of figuring out how the deer move, how to be patient and strike when the conditions are right. And, and you're going to hear all about that in today's episode. So huge shout out to uh, Brett for taking time out of his day to hop on and chat with us. Huge shout out to the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles. And today we're going to be talking about Novex. Novex is the new tree stand company, the same functionality as the old lone wolves brand new company made in america if you guys are a mobile hunting company you need to go check them out novexoutdoors.com 
and then we have Vortex Optics, title sponsor. These guys are going to be putting out some new gear between now and April, so uh, keep an eye out for not only this podcast, I'm going to be making my way up there in March, and we're going to be doing a... I think it's going to be like a two-day stint up there at the uh, at Vortex, and I'm going to just be recording a ton of episodes with some of their crew, their staff, uh, the Hunting Gear podcast. I'm going to get some content for that. The Nine Finger Chronicles, just BS with those guys. Really, really good group of guys. Really good uh, product lineup. An awesome warranty, VIP warranty. Uh, so go to VortexOptics.com. Take a look at everything that these guys offer because if you need optics for your gun or you know, binos or spotters or range finders, they got it. So uh, vortexoptics.com, check it out. Exodus trail cameras. Why Exodus? Because they're work. Uh, they, they work. And I, when, when you feel confident knowing that your trail cameras are working and that when you go to check them, you're going to have the most accurate information that you can use to make a move just like you're going to hear on today's you know on today's uh, podcast is trail cameras play a big part in when deer are in the area and when to move in on them so if there's no deer in the area because the trail camera you know pictures aren't showing it then guess what we'll do we you know we we have to uh, move on or wait and uh, that's what today's podcast is about so uh lots of good uh info uh, there's also just a lot of good content coming out of the exodus camp as well so exodusoutdoorgear.com and lastly if you're looking for a crossbow you need to check out excaliburcrossbow.com these guys have been around for like 30 years and you don't last that long uh, without putting out really good products and having really good customer service so uh i know that i'm going to be looking for a crossbow here in the next couple months for my kids to shoot and for my wife to shoot so something smaller something compact something that is uh, durable and uh, easy to use just kind of a, a, a whole bunch of really good you know really good uh, 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 functionality in a crossbow and uh, Excalibur's got that so Excalibur uh, Excalibur crossbow.com take a look at that all right so we've done the commercial we've done everything else let's get into today's episode three two one last minute cancellation on my end today so i throw the feelers out on instagram and brett conan from kansas is the first person to get to me and say hey man i I don't have anything better to do today so brett how we doing man Good, good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. Yeah, anytime, man. Love talking about hunting. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, before we get into you know the life of a Kansas hunter, uh, what do you do for a living? I work as a safety rep for a pipeline company. Okay, and what's that entail? Uh, going out to job sites, uh, making sure making sure everything looks good. Um, do a lot of office work um so a lot of traveling yeah a lot of time in the that's, that's where i where i get to listen to you at on uh on the nine fingers i gotcha all right cool 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 um and is that like uh, a lot of road time a lot of time behind a uh a desk both both, both. yeah i gotcha well i tell you what man when i was uh when i was living that cubicle life I listen to a lot of music or a lot of uh, podcasts or just like crazy 
you know, just anything really online. What is one of your favorite non-hunting podcasts? Um, Real AF with Andy Frisella from First Form. Okay, and what's that all about? So it started out, he was, uh, he, it was MFCEO project and talked a lot about business and, and developing yourself and making yourself better um, as far as, you know, uh, work-wise. Yeah. And how to be a better business person um, if you are working for somebody else or you are an entrepreneur, um, just how to be better. And then it's kind of developed into here lately. It's been he's had one every day, and they just go through um, world events. I got gotcha. you. And they have questions. So a lot of self help and how to how to be better. Gotcha. I think we could all take a little bit of that, right, and focus on the inside and 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 see where our flaws are, and I guess try to adjust them to not only make yourself better but make the people who are around you better. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I might have to check that one out. So, all right, Kansas. You won't be disappointed. You won't, you'll, you really like it? I do, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. I'll have to give it a, I'll have to give it a listen. All right, so Kansas. My, my, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but my uncle lived in Iowa up until, I don't know how long he's been down in Kansas now. It's been quite a while, maybe close to 20 years now. But he goes to Kansas, and the first five years, maybe, he shoots, mm-hmm. he shoots like three or four booners when he was since he's since he moved down there, and uh, and then a couple, a handful of years after that first five years, I want to say it's been five, five or seven years now since he, uh, since he shot his big one, which was two eleven, and that's in southeast. Kansas, uh, where, where he lives, where, whereabouts in Kansas do you live? I am smack dab in the middle of Kansas. Okay. About you can be. Yeah. West and North and South both. So just, if you, if you split the, the state into four equal parts, right in the center. Yes, sir. Gotcha. All right. So, you know, Kansas uh, Nebraska, North, South Dakota, they, you know, those plain states that we're all familiar with. What is the terrain like where, where you live and hunt? So it kind of varies a little bit. Um, most of it is open grasses with like CRP or pasture ground, um, with some Creek bottoms running through them. Those are, those are my favorite. Um, a lot of ag fields button up to those. So try to finding those transition areas where they, where they meet the ag field meets the, the creeks along with the pasture. Yeah. Um, here, here in central Kansas, we're not, we, we don't have the grass like out in Western Kansas where it's big rolling hills and we don't have the, uh, the trees like in Eastern Kansas that your uncle probably sees. Yeah. So we've got just a little bit of, we don't have big timber, um, but there, there's some areas where there's, there's quite a bit of trees, but mostly it's just on creeks. 
Yeah. A lot of the places where he hunts is the only place there are trees are creek creek bottom. So, or river bottom, creek bottom. The rest is like you just said, pasture ground or maybe wind breaks for buildings or houses, you know, things like that. And, and, uh, uh, that type that, I mean, it sounds similar. just sounds like you guys have less trees, even in those locations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, because, the plain states really intrigue me. And the reason I say that is because when I'm out in South Dakota or Nebraska, I can almost see a hard line between the mule deer habitat and the, the whitetail habitat. Like the whitetail, the whitetails definitely stay in a specific area all the time. And the mule deer tend to stay in a specific area all all the time you guys are probably a little too far to the east for mule deer or do you have some overlap there where you're at not very many it's pretty rare to see a mule deer okay um, yeah okay so talk to us a little bit about the i guess on a an annual pattern of what these deer are doing where they live how they move through this terrain that you've described and and, and maybe a little bit about what you're doing to I guess, locate them, find them, and put yourself in the best position. So, I mean, really, it starts this year, just like any other hunter. Um, it's here in about two weeks, I'll start bed hunting. And that's really where I learned, learned the most of, you know, the buck habitats, where, the, where they're staying the majority of the time. Um, and then you follow scrapes and rubs, right? Right. Um, so th- this this time of year is, is crucial for for knowing where where to where to look, and then come early summer and, and throughout the summer months, you're you're on the crop fields whether it's beans or or milo. Um, in my area, I've got a lot, a lot more beans and wheat, so. Yeah. Early in the early in the in the season, we're hitting beans, and then in the in the late season, we're trying to find the uh, the green wheat fields, right? Okay. Okay. So then, so as far as a a pattern is concerned, so let's just take the landscape, right? And there's not a lot of trees. Uh, it looks like there's a lot of open fields, a lot of pastures, not as much. Uh, um, elevation change like it like you would find out in the rolling hills of western kansas but does this tend to concentrate deer in certain areas because you know we in this in this conversation we always talk about where the deer are at but we we never really focus on where the deer are not at and that can be just as important yeah yeah um it seems like here here in kansas if you can find a pocket where you can get away from roads, because I mean, everybody around here, you see a, a good deer on the side of the road, you're, you're stopping and looking. Yeah. And they, they tend to avoid that after a while. So if you can find pockets where you can get away from everything and, and you can find an ag field bedded up to butted up close to a bedding area, you're going to have a big concentration of deer yeah. where they can just get away and not be seen right so they they are secluded they like to be secluded yeah 
Gotcha. For sure. So do you live, uh, do you live in an area where, so in certain parts of the Plain States and there's even parts of Iowa that are like this too. Most of Iowa is as you get into the more rural areas, the roads are all on section lines. So there will be one mile by one mile and then another road for the most part. Now there's other places. Uh, there are some places where it may be two sections or three sections uh, of ground that don't have a road through it. As you start getting out into your neck of the woods, are are roads common or do you have big chunks of land like in certain parts of like Nebraska and South Dakota where there could be 30,000 acres uh, but no, no, what I'll say is main roads that surround them. We pretty much just have square miles. Yeah. Um, or you may have a spot where there's two sections butted up together that with no road in between, but for the most part, it's, it's square miles. Right. So when you do, <clears throat> when you do find those pocket, it's very important to, to see where that is because it sounds, I mean, even, even for the most part around here, and where you're at, you could probably put up the binos and see the mile through the, through the section then, right? To the next road. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. So I, I take it any subtle terrain change is very important to note. Yes, sir. It's yeah. money. Yeah. Talk to, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, as far as how the how the deer use these subtle terrain differences that we may not be able to observe, but they definitely uh, love or or feel comfortable in that in that little terrain change. So if you can find a low spot where you know it say you've got like a waterway or that creek bottom where they can they can stay down in there and stay away from everybody. Um, that's that's where I like to key in on. And then if, if you can find that butted up to an ag field, those those pinch points are, are crucial around here if, if you're going to be a bow hunter. Yeah. I mean, you can't – rifle hunters, of course, you can, you can shoot out to a few hundred yards and no problem. You can catch them coming any, any which way. But yeah. to be able to beat their nose – you've, you've got to get on those low spots and try to play that wind. Yeah. So, you know, a pinch point where I hunt, I look at it and anybody can really see it, right? This is a pinch point, but out there, mm-hmm. w- what, what do you look for in a, uh, in a pinch point or a bottleneck when it might not be so obvious? So I like to look for, that that pasture grass where there's not not any cows we have a lot of cows out in this area so if you can get away from the livestock and find that pasture that that butts up to some trees or um, the ag field that's that's money to me i mean i try to stay right there close to that and uh find the best access in and out right and yeah. that's if you can get in and out without being detected then uh that's best right there okay and and how do you do that in a wide open environment like that uh two years ago i crawled a half mile yeah to uh get to my spot luckily it worked out but um I'll, i i will find any way i can to 
outsmart the deer or get in undetected because yeah. you pretty much get one shot with them. Yeah. If you bust them, you, you might as well find a new area to try to hunt them because they, they know something's up and they won't come back to that area during daylight. Yeah. So, so yeah, talk to me about that then. I like when I bust a deer or when it, in Iowa, we have, you know, I got tree cover, right. They could probably go, you know, a quarter mile, they could go 500 yards, whatever, and then look back and okay, well, nothing's chasing me. I don't smell anything anymore and try to and kind of get comfortable again. And then they may or may not, you know, but, but for the most part, you know, they start to cycle back into their old, you know, their old routine again, from what my uncle has told me and what people have told me about hunting some of um, these these uh, prairie states is that when you get busted out there, it's almost like you're busted for an entire year with that specific deer. Is that true? Oh, yeah. <laughs> More times than not, I've been busted. And, you, I mean, you can move 500 yards away and be back in the chips possibly but if, if you're in his core area, yeah. but if, if, if he's a roamer or you're close to rut, you may never see that deer again Yeah. until, until next year when, when he's kind of forgot about you, but you, out here, you, you pretty much have one shot at a deer. If you screw it up, you might as well start looking for another one. Yeah. So when you're, when you're out there looking for, you know, and obviously some of these places that you've been, that you've been hunting, you probably, you know, you know, like, Hey, maybe there's a doe group that usually calls this place home, or this is great buck bedding, or, or there's a lot of sign here every year. Like, how do you go about identifying these places uh, and where to, you know, as far as deer movement is concerned, like, do you focus on historical information like the bucks tend to like this spot or do you hunt doe groups thinking bucks will work their way through what's your strategy like i like to focus on the does personally um if i can get does coming in consistently i will stay out of an area until you know mid-october to when when it's when it's right yeah um i i like that, that that last week of october that's when I really go in and focus on, on the areas that I want to hunt. Um, <clears throat> just because if you blow, you, you know, just as well as I do, if you blow does out, you know, they're, they're gone as well. And yeah. they're, if they catch you in the tree, they will look up there every single time. And so I, that's, that's my focus is finding where the does are at, where they like to move. Um, you know, here in Kansas, we can bait, and I'll, I'll have one, one bait pile per area that I hunt. And that's pretty much strictly for inventory. Yeah. And then I, I move in on, especially in that October range, I like to hunt, uh, scrape lines. You find, you find four or five good scrapes within a few hundred yards. And you know, eventually he's coming back to that area. Yeah. He's, he's every couple days checking his scrapes and if i can if i really can get that late october with a light rain that that is that is where it's at the light rain i don't know what it does but they get them up on their feet earlier and they're checking their scrapes 
Yeah. So you're looking for almost the perfect, the perfect storm to get out in the tree stand, and that tends to uh, get the deer on their feet and get them moving. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I don't. I don't hunt very many times a year anymore, just because with kids and and work and the wife and and all that. When you do, you've got to make sure it's it's the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's the truth, right? I mean the the higher the higher the odds of you getting in the woods, and you know some. When does Kansas open? That's that's is that a October first or is that a September open for you guys? Youth season opens up early early September, and usually by about the fifteenth of September, um, archery and muzzleloader opens. Gotcha. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about. I want to talk about the deer behavior. All right. Have you hunted any Eastern States before, like into Missouri or I guess you would say your, your typical Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, Midwestern States? I have not had that privilege yet. Okay. All right. I wonder why, and here's what I notice when I'm, when I'm out in, you know, South Dakota or, or my experience in Kansas, or, um, I've even hunted or excuse me at Nebraska. And I've even hunted with my uncle a couple of times. I, I, I wasn't hunting, but I was with him while he was hunting. Mm-hmm. I wonder why do you think that the, these prairie, you know, the open ground whitetails are so skittish because like I could drive a truck or I could maybe walk into a farm in Iowa and the deer would bound away, but it's not like they're going to bound away all, you know, like they're not going to bound away into the next County. It seems like in some of these Western, like the, the Prairie States that they're so skittish and they, they don't take any shit and they're gone. Like, and they're gone, gone. Like they, they run and run and run and, until they disappear. Yeah. These ones don't take off that far. Okay. They go, to, they go to their security, and they will stay there. Yeah. Um, and it, they will not come out until it's dark. And that's why, like I was telling you earlier, I focus on those areas where you can get away from the roads because you may have five to ten cars drive by um, in an evening sit, and three of them are going to stop and get their binoculars out and look and see what deer are out there. Yeah. I mean, we got a little bit of front hunting pressure um but everybody likes to see deer yeah and so that that's where i mean they, they go to that security and they they don't leave that yeah yeah especially if they're spooked now once you does their deer does their behavior change once they get into those high security lower spots where the cars don't stop and they're not necessarily seen a lot you can almost get away with murder on a on a good secure spot yeah. because they they don't look up they don't really care once yeah. they're in there they know that they're there and I mean they they feel secure and they don't really care about anything else yeah isn't that crazy it's like in it, in the matter of a quarter mile their behavior completely changes yep yeah now if you if you or if they if you get busted a few times in there then they change pretty quick, but yeah. Does that behavior then, does that behavior then change between bucks and does? Yeah. 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 And, and bucks are just more weary. Mm-hmm. Okay. They will back out 
of an area and you you may not even see them. Yeah. I've seen them to where if they get a wind, they stop dead in their tracks and they will back up and just skirt right back out. Yeah, yeah. So this this is what I've been thinking about lately, right? I feel like in Iowa here, especially in this ag timber mix that I hunt, I can identify a staging area. I can definitely identify a food source. I can identify a pinch point or a bedding area very easily. How easy is it for you to identify bedding areas and pinch points and, um, you know, like travel corridors and food sources? Is that, is that something really easy to do? It is now, not when I first started. Yeah. Um, it's, this has kind of become an addiction over the last 12 years um, since I started bow hunting. Um, that, you know, when I first started, you don't really know. You can look at maps all you want, but until you go out there and spend the time in the trees and know exactly where they're going to come out, then, then, uh, you're, you're kind of, I, I've screwed up so many hunts that way, yeah. but now I kind of almost enjoy finding those new, new properties and walking through them and, and figuring it out because yeah. once you get a deer figured out, it's, it's actually pretty, pretty easy then yeah. to figure out where it's going to come out and when it, when it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So for me in the environment that I hunt, like I'm a huge fan of staging areas and the reason I like a staging area is because you're typically not bumping any deer getting in and out if your access is good you know there's there's always a chance there could be a deer in a staging area but for me I don't like when I go to my tree stand obviously I don't want deer there to watch me or hear me or smell me so I like to be in my tree stand so when they funnel through stage up slow down before they go out to you know, whatever food source they're going to, that's where I have personally had the, the most success throughout the years. Okay. So is there a terrain feature out there that you just are drawn to where you've had, I, I guess, statistically a, a higher success rate hunting? Right on the edge of that food source. Um, if I can, if I can get that bedding area butted up to a food source, which I, I'm pretty lucky to have a few properties that are like that. Um, as soon as, and I don't, I don't really necessarily like to be right where they all come out to that food source. Um, because here in Kansas, I mean, you can call to a buck, a mature buck, and you can get him to come a couple hundred yards pretty quick. Yeah. So if I, if I need to be, I'll stay, I'll stay that couple hundred yards away and, use calling to get him into that bow range. Yeah. Yeah. And you would, I would think for me, and this is what I've seen happen is, you know, you call out a deer, they come in to investigate. If they don't see anything, then they, there's no need for them to come in the rest of the way. What's that like out where you're at? Is that, this, is that similar or I, cause I, I picture less cover equals easier sight paths for these deer and they're not able to, you know, they can see, and then they don't want to come in any further to investigate. I'll, I'd like to break it up by terrain feature. Then if, if he can't, if he can see through, um, 
then yeah, you're calling and you're just hoping he comes right to you. Yeah. Um, but if you've got a ridge or a creek bottom that he can't see clearly through to see if there's anything in there, then then that's where that's where I like to focus is if I've got a ridge behind me, um, I can call to a deer and he'll have to go past me to get to the top of that ridge to see if there's anything over there. I gotcha. And is that a strategy that you use a lot? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've had quite successful with that one. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Like I'll, I'll be honest with you. Calling to a deer is fun, especially when their, their behavior during the rut allows them to be like, what is that? Not in my hood. And, you know, start coming, you know, coming right at, at you. Does with with that being said, then do you decoy at all? I tried decoying this year for the first time and had with with my son and had zero luck with it. Yeah. Um, personally, I like to rattle the most. Um, you can get a you can get a deer worked up pretty good, and you can extend your range out to two three hundred yards with with rattling. Then once I get them in closer, inside of that hundred yard range, I'll either give them a grunt or a snort wheeze, and you can tell real quick if he's the mature buck in the area. If he's not, then I don't really care. He can move on and get another year of growth under him. But if he is, you can typically get him into that bow range pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, man, that's nuts. Um, so, so it's it's almost it sounds like it's almost a little bit of a cheat code. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, if you can you can do it right. I mean, there's over the last twelve years, I've I've messed up a lot where I called too much. They're coming towards me, and I stop, and they're looking around. And I call again, and then they know something's up. If they're coming towards you, let them come in. Yeah, yeah, I've learned about over calling the hard way on several occasions on and there's there's one that really sticks into my mind and i think i actually think about it you know i'd say once every couple months and it's this like giant 180 inch typical 12 pointer uh i when i when i was filming and he came in to uh, what i feel i rattled he came in and then he kind of slowed down. He caught my wind, and then I kept rattling at him and kept like snort wheezing. And he was like, "What is going on?" You know, and and uh, definitely overcalled on that situation. And I never saw that deer again. So, uh, yeah, overcalling. Are you are when they come in? Are they coming in on a straight line, or are they looping behind you to try to scent check? They will loop in trying yeah. to scent check, and that's where you you've got to play your wins because I can get away with some if he wins if if uh if i'm not calling yeah they you know it, it can be an if he wins but if uh, if i'm calling i've got to have my my win perfect to be able to get them into that 25 to 30 yard range otherwise if they if they can get you know 100 yards out and and loop downwind of you might as well catch them next year yeah i got you so we're, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing where I hunt to where you hunt a lot and with them being so different, I can hunt, you know, a hundred acres and I can have 
shit, maybe 10 tree stands in a hundred acres if I wanted to, right? Tree stand locations. Out there, yeah. it's different. So how many, like on average, with the, the limited amount of trees, do you do you use ground blinds a lot or are you a tree stand guy? Um, I'm a tree stand guy. I'm slowly moving to hunting just off the ground, no blind. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of am getting more joy out of that anymore, just beating them in another way. Yeah. Um, for, for my kids, though, both my younger kids, they love to go sit in the blind with me. And my boy, he, he's been shooting deer now for the last five years. And my, my little girl, she's going to be six this year. And she, uh, thinks that she wants to pick up the crossbow and, and, uh, give it a go. So with them, I like to sit in a blind just cause kids playing on tablets and eating snacks and all that. You can get away with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fact. That's a fact. And I would think that hunting from the ground, obviously, and, and, or in a blind would give you the freedom to access more of the ground that you have access to. Right. Cause I'm sure some of the pieces that you hunt, you know, only have maybe one tree stand location or two tree stand locations on them. And then the rest would, you know, man, I gotta, I gotta be creative here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. If you can find a good cedar tree, um, cut a few branches and just set up in there, that's that's worked out pretty good for me. And then just trying to find, identify where the deer are moving yeah. through trees. Um, cell cams have kind of changed the game, really. Okay. Yeah. And find where find where they're at and just try to get as close as possible to, to where they're they're going to cross your path. Yeah. So is, you know, during the rut, my uncle down there, he's like, man, deer travel forever. Uh, if they have to, you know, a buck will travel as far as he needs to go through these river bottoms and through these crick systems and, and they'll go until they find another doe group. And yeah. if there's not one there, then they keep going and they run these, could potentially be three, four, five miles. He found a, he had an encounter with a deer on one farm, found his shed seven miles away on a, on a completely different farm. Same deer. So that, go ahead. That, they'll go, they'll go three to five miles yeah. in a couple hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So does that then change throughout like the breeding season versus the non-breeding season? Do they, do they stick tighter then during the, you know, if they have a, a good bedding area and a good food source, do they stick tighter or are they still traveling longer distances throughout the summer and early season months? Early season, they're pretty tight. Um, you, you may have them in a one mile square area. Yeah. But for the most part, they, they don't like to move. I mean, they've got food, water, bedding. They, they don't move a whole lot. Gotcha. Um, during the rut, yeah, that's where, I mean, yeah, you may get that surprise buck, but if you're chasing one specific deer, he could be five to 10 miles away and you have no shot at him. So yeah, I, I like, I like to go after him before the rut even starts. Yeah. And so that's why going back to your comments earlier, you like that pre-rut, that pre-rut time yeah. frame. 
mix that with a little bit of rain and it's magic there. Yes, sir. Yeah. What do you, uh, you know, let's say you said, Hey, Dan, come sit in one of my tree stands. What am I expected to see, expecting to see in a given hunt? Are we like, are we talking one deer is good for that night? Two, three, like one buck, four does. Like what's, what do you expect to see in a given night? If all things are, are going well. Um, well, last year, the night I shot my deer, we had 40 plus mile an hour winds all day long yeah. the night before. Um, and the wind had calmed down to about 30 mile an hour that evening. And I saw 35 plus deer that night that I sat. Okay. That is not, that's not very typical for me. Um, if I see five deer, that's a great night. Um, just kind of depends on where I'm setting up and, and where the deer are moving at that time of year, you know, early season. When I take the kids out, we may see a few deer, um, over the, the green bean fields, or you may see 20. I mean, they've got so many different food source options close that it just, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what night they're going to come out and where. I gotcha. I gotcha. But it, it, doesn't happen very often anymore that I get skunked on a set. Yeah. Well, you've, you've learned those properties over the years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if you overhunt them, then yeah, you're going to have, have nights where you do get skunked. But like I was telling you earlier, I, I like to pick and choose when I go in there because you, you've only got that one opportunity at, at the mature deer. That's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. So I mean, so what happens? Let, let me throw a scenario at you. You go in there, whether you get busted or you don't, whether you know you get busted or not, you go in there, something happens and, and the deer you're chasing doesn't show up. And then he kind of, he splits for a while. Like what is the next step on what you're doing during the hunting season to locate a, either another deer or that same deer? I wait. I wait to see what my trail cameras show me. Um, I don't, I don't like to just go set blind anymore. Um, one, my time is too valuable. Um, but I like to see what the trail cams are showing me. Um, what the, what everybody else is seeing. If everybody else has got, got, uh, deer moving, I may go out and see if I can get lucky. But for the most part, I, I, I rely heavily on those trail cameras. Yeah. And I put them on, on, uh, scrapes and, and, uh, pinch points where they're coming in and out of the fields. Okay. And then if I, if I need to make a move from there, then I will, um, very rarely do I get to go out and just drive around and scout just time wise. I don't have that time anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of uh, observation and and checking and waiting and then so your most of your time is spent being is actively waiting if that makes sense correct yeah okay all right and so and so then as soon as you get intel i mean are you dropping everything and making the move then yep yeah pretty much gotcha. the, the wife is is grown accustomed to me texting her saying hey I'm going tonight because such and such deer showed up at this time. Yeah. And, and you just make your move. 
yeah. So kind it, of it, go it, ahead. I I don't really pay attention much to that. Um, it's those right at first light or right before last light. Yeah, is when I really focus. Okay, so then I'll, then I'll sorry. Go ahead. I was I was just going to ask the question of when do you typically have most of your success or or you see better deer movement? Is it in the evenings or mornings? Evenings for sure evenings. around here. Okay, okay, and then when it comes to the rut and you can dedicate time, are are you an all day guy? I I don't have that patience. Neither do I. I can't do. It. If I'm not seeing anything, especially in the mornings, if I'm not seeing anything uh, moving by about ten ten thirty, I'm hopping down and and looking for other places to go. Yeah. So, with with, with kids and and all the activities that they have, I I can't dedicate a whole day just to. Yeah climbing in a stand and forget about everything else yeah i can't dedicate a whole day just because my my mind does not i don't know if it's like a mental strength thing or not but i do not have the patience for for that at all i'm right there with you so well cool man you know over the years you've been uh you've been fairly successful uh what's the uh um the last buck that you ended up shooting i'm gonna pull up uh he was a pretty big one, wasn't he? He was about 135 inch deer. Not not my biggest scoring deer by any means, but nice five year old. Um, that genetically he wasn't going to do much. Yeah. So I, yeah. I I got got him out of there. Yeah. Let's see here. I'm pulling up. Okay. So this was this was this past on October 29th or something like that, wasn't it? Yep. Okay. Uh, on the 28th. 28th. Okay. All right. So talk to me a little bit about what this deer was doing and what strategy you you put in place to intercept him. So that night, actually, I had another another deer clear out across the field. There was a wheat field that bet, that butts up to a bedding area that that is right on the edge of a creek. Yep. It's a pretty good sized creek. Um, and these deer will just flood out to this wheat field in the evenings and you cannot see it from any road. So they feel safe as can be down there. Right. And I've killed five deer now out of that same tree stand. Oh, wow. Um, and I had a, I had a pretty good eight point. He was, another five-year-old deer that I've watched for the last few years. And he was out about 200 yards with some smaller bucks and the does start feeding out as well. And, and so I start calling at this and I started rattling cause it was, it was super windy that night. I started rattling at him and he'd lift his head and he'd start sparring with those little bucks. And then he'd move 20 yards closer to me and so I rattled again and he, he came a little bit closer and he got up to about a hundred yards and he got locked on a doe and just was standing there sniffing her for a little bit. And I've got my binoculars up just watching him and I pull my binoculars down and the deer I ended up shooting is standing broadside at 12 yards right in front of me. And I was like, Oh man. So I had about two second decision 
realized what deer it was, and he's walking. By the time I got my binoculars put away and grabbed my bow, he was quartering away at 31 yards and put an arrow through him. He jumped and ran to the tree line that I was sitting in, and I couldn't tell which way he went, if he went north or if he went south or where he went. And about a minute and a half later, he comes walking straight down the tree line that I'm sitting in and stands at eight yards, blood just pouring out of him. And he's behind a branch, so I couldn't get another shot in him. He finally walks straight under my tree, and I put another arrow in him, and he went 10 yards and died right there by my tree stand. Wow. Wow. So you got him. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Nice. Yeah. So, so then, uh, so it sounds like you've, you've really figured out a, a pattern of success and what works for you, how you access, how, how to not or beat the, beat the deer using the environment. Right. So, uh, and then as, at the same time, really laying off and at, uh, again, actively waiting for that opportunity and then getting in there and uh and making it happen and now you mentioned you mentioned cell cams and everybody now seems to be using cell cams is that a is that a major part of your strategy these days it is just with time yeah um i I don't have i don't have the time that i used to have and so if i get a picture like uh the deer i shot two years ago it was a new piece of property Uh, that I had just gotten, so I didn't have a single tree stand on it, which I could have only put one tree stand on it anyways, but I went out, put a camera up, and put some corn out to see even what was in the area. I didn't, it was a place that I've never even hunted close to, and within a few days, I started getting this deer on camera, and I was like, you know, he's pushing the 160 mark, and so I, I'm like, okay, he's coming in the middle of the night, not not really worrying about that. And the day I ended up shooting him, he came in at 7.30 that morning. And so gets my wheels turning a little bit. And at 12.30 that same day, he come back in with two does. And my dad called me and asked me if I looked at the camera. I was like, no, I'm, I'm working. I, I don't really have time to look at that right now. He goes, you may want to look. So I did. He's he's in there at twelve thirty. And I was like, ah, I better get I better get a game plan going for tonight because uh he's in there with two does. He's gonna be close. So I need to figure out how I can get in there. And this is just pasture ground with maybe twelve inch tall grass. Yeah. And it's got it's got a little draw going through it. Um two big two big ridges come down to this draw and not very many trees. And so I knew, I knew at that time I needed to play the wind. And if I just walked in there, I was probably going to get busted Yeah. just with highlighting me. And I had no idea where they were going to be at anyways. And so I uh, got the great, great idea to crawl in a half mile. And it, it took me an hour and five minutes to crawl to where I thought I was going to be able to get a shot. And I set up about 150 yards from where I dumped the corn. And at 4.50 that evening, 
I started getting pictures of him. Yeah. And so I, it was pretty warm that day. It was late November. Um, and so I knew I needed to be close to water and there was just a little water hole that I was set up about 30 yards from. And after 45 minutes of sitting there and seeing him on camera, I finally seen him stop or step out of that little draw. And so I started calling at him and he, uh, he, I got his attention, but he didn't really want to leave those does and they weren't, they weren't leaving this little group of cedar trees that they were in. And as the evening went on, you know, they got a little closer and got a little closer. And I just, when I was crawling in there, I actually lost my grunt call. And so all I had was my rattling horns and made some snort wheezes. And I had him in and I was set up on the ground, no blinds or anything behind three little hedge bushes that were about three feet tall. And I, I got him within 75 yards five different times that evening. And he came through this little opening at 25 yards. And when I drew, the does saw me, and they busted and took off over the hill. And they, okay. it was getting it was getting to the, the last light type where they didn't really t- they couldn't really tell what was what had scared them. So they. I'm about to puke when I realize that they run off. Spent all this time trying to get him, get him within range, and I, I, I blew it. Yeah. And sitting there, sulking in my sorrows, and I see them start popping back over the hill. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? They didn't have a clue what <laughs> what that." And the does come back in to about thirty yards, and they're they're bobbing their heads around trying to figure out what I was he didn't have a clue he was wasn't paying any attention to me all he cared about was them and he got to 45 yards and turned broadside and I pinwheeled him and he went 200 yards and crashed yeah one of those types that shouldn't have happened I, I got busted and they should have taken off, but I got pretty lucky that night. Yeah. Hey man, like uh, a lot of guys say, man, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. And, and uh, one thing that, that the word luck though, and this is what I found the more time you put into anything, the luckier that you're going to get. Meaning if you dedicate your life to being good at, you know, bow hunting, the more time you put into bow hunting, the quote unquote luckier you're going to get just because that's where all your time and energy goes. So, um, it, it's one of those, you know, what they say, luck is opportunity, uh, timing and opportunity or whatever that, whatever that saying is, you know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, it sounds like you got to, you've, uh, you're on a roll, man. and, And things are going good for you down there in Kansas. Yeah. Yeah between my dad and myself and my boy we've, we've had pretty good years here over the last five so that's awesome that's awesome well congratulations man uh i really want to say again thank you very much for taking time out of your day to, to hop on the podcast and uh and, and chat with us about where you hunt how you hunt and the success that you've had thanks dan i appreciate it man 
And that brings us to the end of another episode. Huge shout out to Brett, man. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on last minute. Huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles, Hunt Stand, Wasp, Ozonix, Novex, Vortex, Exodus, and Excalibur. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And lastly, um, be positive, good vibes, crazy world, positive wins the day. And uh, man, I cannot wait to get out and start putting the pieces of the puzzle together for this fall, man, because uh, if you want to be successful and you have a certain uh, level of success that you're looking for, it starts right now. So go out and get it.